Hey, y'all. This is Amazon Daddy. This week on the show, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team, Karen Grigsby Bates, and NPR TV critic, Eric Daggins. All right, let's start the show. 100 days, 100 nights, no one Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Excited to have two wonderful guests in studio with me right now. Karen Grigsby-Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team, and Eric Deggins, TV critic for NPR. He's at NPR West this week because he's in town for the TCA, the Television Critics Association thingamabob. Summer press tour. Okay. I can can die happy (laughs) because Aunt Betty has said my name. She has. And she always says everybody's name right. Thank you, Aunt (laughs) Betty. Or thank you, NPR producers. Yeah. (laughs) I prefer to think that Aunt Betty knows all this just innately. I'm also really happy to have in studio right now uh, the voice of Sharon Jones. Oh, yeah. I love this song. Wait a minute. The much missed Sharon yes. Jones. Yeah. I'm playing this song, which is called 100 Days, 100 Nights, because it is on a new list that came out this week from NPR Music. Uh, as part of their Turning the Tables series, they've released a list of the best 200 songs by women and non-binary artists who made their major contributions since 2000. So it's not a comprehensive of all time list. It's a since 2000 list of songs by women. This song's number seven. In my opinion, it should be number one. Really? Mm-hmm. Listen to this. She's doing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love this song because it was released in 2007, but it sounds like it could have come from any decade in the last half century. I love this song because the men are backing her up (laughs) instead of the other way around. Tell them, sister. Yes. Karen and Eric are here with me to look back on the week of news and culture and everything else. Per usual, got a lot to talk about. Uh, There's a fire so big in California right now that it's created its own weather system. Uh, CBS, as we know, is still reeling from sexual assault allegations against its CEO, Leslie Moonves. And an underground conspiracy theory that is gaining ground this week, it's called QAnon. We'll explain. Also, listeners, uh, all you Friday listeners, want to send you back in our feed to our latest Tuesday episode. I was in conversation with D.L. Hughley, the legendary comedian. He has a new book that is a hilarious and satirical look at race relations in the Trump era. The convo is worth a listen, in large part because it was one of those chats where any question I asked, he answered. All right, let's get into it. I'm going to have each of my guests describe how this week of news felt in just three words. Karen, the woman of the hour, you're up first. My three words are not the enemy. Not the enemy. I think I know who you're talking about. Who I are you think talking you about? do. Okay. Well, in this case, this was Ivanka Trump, who earlier this week um, sort of tried to walk back one of her father's more infamous statements, which he uses a lot, is sort of like in his top 10 favorites, where he calls the press the enemy of the American people. 
He's been doing it more at some of his recent rallies, and the hostility and the threat of violence has sort of ramped up, and there's been a lot of discussion about that in the news media. And uh, someone asked Ivanka at a press conference for something else earlier this week. She was doing it. Was uh, it was an Axios live event, and Mike Allen of Axios uh, it was asked like her his about own this. AMA. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so we actually have the tape of this. We have a number of our colleagues here on the press. Do you think that we're the enemy of the people? Sorry? Do you think the media <laughs> is the enemy of the people? No, I do not. <laughs> that's, that's not a view that's shared in your family. Are you looking for me to elaborate? And sure. No, um, no, I don't. Also, like, it doesn't matter what she says. It matters what he She's does. She's not the president. It's what he does. It matters what he does. And he actually, after this, kind of addressed her comments, Karen. He tweeted and said, well, actually, not all of y'all are enemy of the people, but Just a lot of y'all are. are. Yes. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm so tired of this, Karen. It's yeah. so bizarre. I feel like he both depends on the media and, and, and needs the media in this very primal way to pay attention to him, to make him the center of everything. But then he also beats up on the media. Well, we need him, too. This yes. is the thing that the CNNs and the large newsrooms, maybe in- including ours, don't want to admit. Actually, Donald Trump is good for business. There would Thank actually you. be other news to report if we weren't looking, you know, at Donald Trump every two seconds. But <laughs> would people be, um, you know, jacking up our uh, audience numbers by 20 percent? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. Across the board, almost every major news outlet has seen huge audience gains since the election, sustained since the election. My question also is, you know, um, so then there was this White House briefing Mm -hmm. where CNN's Jim Acosta asked Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders more about the enemy of the people debate. Mm -hmm. And it was another contentious back and forth. The president of the United States should not refer to us as the enemy of the people. His own daughter acknowledges that. And all I'm asking you to do, Sarah, is to acknowledge that right now and right here. I I appreciate your passion. I share it. Um, I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. I'm here to speak on behalf of the president. He's made his comments clear. Here's my thing with this, Karen and Eric. At some point, the CNNs of the world and the rest of us know what the answer is going to be when you ask that question. So why are you still asking the question? Sometimes I feel like they ask this question to get the heated response, to put it on TV, to gin up some more attention and coverage, to keep the cycle going. Sometimes they ask the question because it was never answered, no matter how many times you ask it. And I think that's what happened in this case. Yeah. But also, you know, when the media finds a way to make itself the big discussion at these events, what do we miss? The same week in which we have Ivanka Trump making these comments about the press— And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders getting into it with the press over the same issue. Uh, Heads of intelligence agencies were talking about Russian interference. And that's a big deal. And every moment that we're doing the enemy of the people song and dance, we're not talking about these really, really, really big major issues. And that is what I worry about. I sympathize with my brethren and sistren in the press corps that are being attacked by this president. But I also know that it's not the only story. Well, I I would also point out that one reason why we're having this discussion now is because of of an event that happened uh, in where I live, uh, in Tampa, Florida. There was a a rally for Donald Trump 
where the vitriol directed at CNN's Jim Acosta was so uh, intense that people were concerned for his safety. Yeah. And in a way, it's a way of the press going to the president and, and almost begging him in a way to, to reel back this rhetoric before something awful happens. I have three words for my week of news. Uh, they are still it burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, we are all in California right now. And we are in the midst of wildfire season, and it's come this year earlier than usual, which has been the case for the last few years. And um, every year, it seems, it gets worse and worse. There is no fire season anymore. It's It's always fire season. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, climate scientists are saying, hey, this stuff is linked to climate change. Six of the most destructive wildfires in California's history have occurred in the last year. These Uh fires are larger. They are lasting longer. There's one fire right now in Northern California called the Car Fire. It's so big, y'all. It's made its own weather system. Which Mm. is frightening. The weather system created by this fire can make its own lightning, its own wind, and perhaps even its own rain. That sounds absolutely biblical. It's weird because you can get used to anything, right? Mm. And so, like, I live in Florida and people are, like, worried about hurricanes and they're worried about this and that. Oh, it ain't nothing, you know. So what if I had to evacuate because of Irma and I thought my house was going to be destroyed a year ago? (laughs) Uh Uh, But then I come here and I'm like, y'all crazy with these earthquakes and the the fire and how you going to, you know, what's the drill and where do I go? And so, yeah, you know, there's this low-level anxiety um, that I am not used to living with, even though, frankly, if I was you know, more perceptive, I would have it when I was at home. <laughs> but <laughs> but I really do feel it here. Well, and my thing with, uh, you know, as we hear and see more stories linking these fires to climate change, the thing that I always feel with these climate change stories is the general undercurrent is, well, we're doomed anyway. Right. And it makes one quite nihilistic. But why sit and wait for it? Thank you. <laughs> you I, don't, I just wonder, like, what can I do? Uh, well, for one thing, Drive you can Prius. trim those bridges, <laughs> those bushes that are all around your house that are going to turn into little torches yeah. when a spark hits them. Yeah. Uh, for another, we could use less electricity, which you're doing with your half electric car, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, less gasoline. The air quality will be better. That's another part of the problem for California, that having spent all this time and money in improving the air quality, now that everything's burning up so much, the air quality's gotten worse during fire season, and that's Mm. affected some people's health. Mm. It is one of those stories where if this many fires were happening on the eastern seaboard, It'd be wall-to-wall coverage every day. Yep. Oh, yeah, but they just figure we're the exotic land of unfortunate (laughs) natural catastrophe, so eh, whatever. You know. Uh, Eric, I think I know what your three words are going to be about, but you tell me. Me Too and Moonves. Wait, that's four. No, no, Me Too is the hashtag, so it's one Ah, okay, okay. (laughs) It's a technicality. No, (laughs) anyway. Oh, it's a a hashtag. Okay. We'll allow it. Thank you. Busted on a tech. Moonves, tell folks who he is. So Leslie Moonves is the uh, current CEO of CBS, um, a man who's credited with sort of building the fortunes of this media company and taking it from uh, a network that was thought to service, um, you know, older viewers into something that's modern and very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a story in the New Yorker uh, last week that accused him 
uh, had featured six women accusing him of sexual harassment and worse, unwanted kissing, touching, and then harming the careers of women who uh, rejected him. Now, he released a statement where he said uh, he may have made advances that made some people uncomfortable, but he never harmed anybody's career, and he, he has denied uh, assaulting anyone. And the CBS board decided to move ahead with an investigation. They hired two law firms to look into it, but they did not take Moonves out of his job as CEO. They didn't even put him on leave or They anything? did not put him on leave or suspend him. And this is a delicate time for CBS because they're already in the middle of this fight. Uh, the company that controls CBS and Viacom, a sister company that owns a bunch of cable channels, is trying to merge the two of them. Moonves doesn't want to do that. And now in the middle of all of this, hmm, a story drops that accuses him of sexual harassment and worse. Timing and so, is everything. Timing is everything. And so all of this mm-hmm. is sort of swirling around the TV Critics Press Tour. And we're all wondering if the top entertainment executives at CBS will actually answer questions from journalists. The other thing is that what I'm starting to see a lot, uh, hear a lot in terms of people talking about, is that... This could be a pivotal point in the Me Too movement. Why? Um, because some people think it's swung too far. So do you accuse people who's done, who've done this 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Does it still matter? Where's the tipping point? Now, some people are out there just spoiling for, these women have ruined everything. Let's just, you know. Stop it. Yeah. Um, but... I'm hearing some women say, Hmm. okay, if you have a person who has been supportive of women in terms of, you know, advancing their careers in terms of doing this, that, and the other, and they're accused of this, then what do you do? How do you separate the bad boy from the good boy? And who's in charge? Who who, who, who is the arbiter, right? Because it varies even in these organizations, who thinks what about what? What I found so interesting this week is the type of responses that we've seen about Les Moonves from people who work at CBS. Stephen Colbert, who works at CBS, he had a very powerful statement on Monday. Everybody believes in accountability until it's their guy. And make no mistake, Les Moonves is my guy. He hired me to sit in this chair. He stood behind this show while we were struggling to find our voice. He gave us the time and the resources to succeed, and he has stood by us when people were mad at me. And I like working for him. But accountability is meaningless, unless it's for everybody, whether it's the leader of a network or the leader of the free world. That's brave. And contrast that with what Julie Chen said. Uh, This is Les Moonves' wife, who is also the host of a CBS show called The Talk. Uh, She mentioned the scandal on her show this week. Now, some of you may be aware of what's been going on in my life for the last few days. I issued the one and only statement I will ever make on this topic on Twitter. And I will stand by that statement today, tomorrow, forever. And that statement basically said, I fully support my husband and stand behind him. Leslie is a good man and a loving father, devoted husband and inspiring corporate leader. But like, how does an organization like CBS, I bet... The 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 coffee and break rooms at CBS are just <laughs> buzzing, buzzing this buzzing. week because you have such a juxtaposition within the organization. There's a lot to unpack there because Julie Chen, number one, uh, is somebody who was an on-air personality at CBS who wound up married to the boss. And this is a guy who's accused of making unwanted passes at people who worked underneath him, right? So, so I, you know, her defending him has this odd... 
uh, sort of tinge uh, to it. And also, she's defending the family business in yeah. a way. Was there any bright spot for CBS at this critics convening? Was Is there a show that you're looking forward to from them? <laughs> <laughs> Anything? Well, you know, I'm re- I'm kind of looking for uh, the only show, uh, fall show that I'm really looking forward to is one I haven't seen yet. Which is the Murphy Brown? Uh, oh, yeah. Wait, they're bringing Murphy Brown back yeah. with Murphy. Where have with you Bergen? been? I don't Where know. With Candace Bergen? Yes. yes. Score yes. one for the it's, old it's people. The yes. <laughs> I, I love that. It's show. the original cast. As everybody's like a nine and ten year old as a kid watching that show. That was not too a ten year old. Do stop. I love that show. So I'm about to get up and walk out of this. Studio. Well, this is where I'm going to throw it to break before it gets too heated in here. Uh, we're going to go to a break. Coming up, we explain QAnon, the latest conspiracy theory network sweeping the web and showing up at Donald Trump rallies. You're listening to It's Been a Minute. We'll be right back. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from JustWorks. JustWorks simplifies business back office complexities so you and your team can work fearlessly. They know that team bonding is an essential part of any company's success. That's why they're offering all listeners a free deck of cards for camaraderie, complete with 42 ideas to bring some joy and laughter to the workplace. Go to JustWorks.com slash JustBond to get your deck today and let the good times roll. Support also comes from Casper. Casper mattresses are designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. To find a mattress that supports your natural geometry and get $50 towards select mattresses, visit casper.com minute and use code minute at checkout. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Ophira Eisenberg. Join me on NPR's Ask Me Another as we challenge contestants and celebrities to nerdy word games, music parodies, and ponderful trivia. Find us every week on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, listeners out there, do you have kids? Do you talk to those kids about race? Do you not talk to those kids about race? If you answered yes to any of those questions, I want to hear from you. Uh, diehard listeners to It's Been a Minute will know that just after the tragedy in Charlottesville last year, we had a conversation on the show about how white people can better handle race and conversations about race with their kids. Well, the anniversary of Charlottesville is upon us, and we're going to talk about this stuff some more because I think we should. This time we're asking all of our listeners with kids of all races uh, to hit us up if you have any questions about how to talk about race with your children. Uh, send me your questions as a voice memo. I will take these questions to someone who will have some answers. Uh, send this to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Be sure to send this by Tuesday. You could end up in an upcoming episode of this show. Speaking of this show, let's get back to it. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, Karen Grigsby-Bates of NPR's Code Switch team and Eric Deggins, NPR's TV critic. All right, you guys, before we get back to the news, I have a quick question for you both. Do either of you use MoviePass? No. No. <laughs> have you heard about their, it, this might their be troubles? This part of the problem. We don't <laughs> my, use my daughter uses it. 
<laughs> but I don't. Has she talked to you about all of their troubles? Uh, no, because she just uses it. She loves it. She yeah. lives in, in Manhattan. Uh, she uh, works for an agency that tracks kids in foster care, so she's not getting rich. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she really likes the idea of yeah. spending a little bit of money and having access to all yeah. these movies. So the premise of MoviePass was that if you pay $10 a month, you can go see as many movies as you want at any theater you want. That doesn't yeah. make any financial sense at yeah. all. You are right, I am Karen. no rocket science you, when it Karen, comes to handling right. and keeping money. <laughs> because <laughs> this company is basically doomed. They have been running out of money uh, for a while started. now. And, and it got so bad in this last week that their entire app and website blacked out for a long time because they had no money. <laughs> it's called financial fainting. No. Yeah. And so uh. now they're trying to save it and they basically said, well, we're still movie pass and it's still unlimited, but you can't see certain movies at certain times and you can't go to certain theaters anymore. Is it still that crazy $10 a month? I heard they were thinking about raising it to 50. Well, they have to. Yeah. But now they've said basically, okay, so take for instance, last weekend, the number one movie in the country was the new Mission Impossible film. <laughs> movie Pass said, we know you have this unlimited pass to see whatever movie you want, you but you can't, can't go see that one. <laughs> How do you... You know, it's, okay, again, I'm from Florida. I'm from the <laughs> land of amusement parks. We are used to blackout dates on our passes, <laughs> our year-round passes. Yeah. You guys, I want to spend some time right now talking about a story that is bubbling up in the news that is giving me more questions than answers once I... I dig into it. More Q's than A's. Hey, ah, you got it, Karen. Fun. Talking about Q and That's why she's the queen of the news. Yes. I will set <laughs> this only. up. So uh, at a Trump rally this week. Hello, Florida. And we're playing audio from a rally from Tuesday. Uh, Trump was in Tampa, Florida. Uh, there were the usual chants, you know, lock her up. Fake news, etc. It sounded like and it looked like many other Trump crowds at many other Trump rallies. But something was different. Uh, There were some people in the crowd wearing shirts and holding posters that simply read Q. Just the letter Q. Uh, And this Q, it stands for this web of Internet conspiracy theories known as QAnon or Q Anonymous. Some folks wearing Q also showed up at a Trump rally in Pennsylvania this week. And I wanted to ask more about it, so I called up Will Summer. He is a tech and internet reporter for the Daily Beast. He covers conspiracy theories. Uh, he's covered QAnon. We talked about who Q is, who the who these followers are, and why we should care. Will Summer of the Daily Beast. Hi, how are you? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I believe this is my first time talking to a reporter whose beat is conspiracy theories. Do you absolutely love or absolutely hate? That beat. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I love doing it. it. You know, it can bring you to some weird places sometimes, obviously. But, uh, you know, I love diving right in. All right. So first and foremost, tell me exactly what in the world is QAnon? Sure. So QAnon is this conspiracy theory that's very popular uh, it's sort of amongst the Trump grassroots, uh, or at least surprisingly popular for how crazy it is. Uh, and it, it's based around these these sort of cryptic clues that started being posted anonymously on internet forums starting in October 2017. And so it, people have taken these clues and they sort of constructed a whole universe around them. And it, it's sort of a, a counter narrative where Trump is winning all the time and Trump and the military are battling this like deep state cabal 
of, uh, you know, high ranking Democrats and, you know, like various evil forces, uh, you know, pedophiles, all this. They believe that uh, the sort of rogue elements of the military tried to shoot down Air Force One with a missile. I mean, it, it, it's truly just I mean, it's it's so far off the grid of what is actually going on in the world. And yet a uh, surprising number of people believe in it. Yeah. And, and, and so the Q and QAnon. Q is actually a person? Well, or a group of people. So Q is this person who is anonymously posting these clues. And uh, he or she or this group of people is called Q. And that's been taken as a reference to a uh, high-level security clearance. So the idea is that this is someone in the Trump administration who's sort of giving clues to Trump supporters saying, you know, don't worry, you know, we got it. Yeah, yeah. And so the big hope or belief, I suppose, with QAnon devotees is that Trump was actually pushed to power to dismantle this network of nefarious liberals and deep staters. What is it about Trump that allows people, you know, supporters like these to believe that he is almost this messianic figure that will save it all? Sure. I mean, you know, I I think it's a couple things. I think it's the fact that, uh, you know, obviously uh, it was, po- he was he was popular in part because he was kind of thumbing his nose at these elites. Uh, he's a guy from outside the political system. And so I, I think people took that sort of understandable outsider appeal during the campaign. And now it has sort of morphed into the sort of larger than life uh, figure who they think will solve like all of their problems. Yeah. Well, there's also a thing that Donald Trump does that might seem to make him more likely to be a hero of conspiracy theorists. He is a politician who at many times in public on the record has seemed to flirt with conspiracy theories. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, his sort of uh, his first big political moments were uh, as a Obama birther person. So, uh, you know, I mean, he, he along with his attacks on the media, has uh, sort of pushed the Republican Party more towards conspiracy theories than it, it was uh, in previous administrations. Yeah. Now, QAnon is trending this week because you saw some signs and shirts saying Q at a Trump rally this week. But we've been covering conspiracy theorists and theories on the right fringe since Pizzagate, since Hillary's alt-right speech, since, you know, Pepe the Frog turned bad. How closely is QAnon tied to those other conspiracy movements on the alt-right fringe of the Internet? Is there a through line with those? Sure. So th- that's that's interesting stuff. So, you know, sort of on the fringe, right, we're talking about a couple different groups. And so we're talking about the alt-right, which is, you know, a, a, at least post-Charlottesville, we would think of as exclusively like a explicitly like white supremacist outfit. And those people actually tend to be younger. And interestingly enough, they're often feuding with QAnon people because QAnon people tend to be older. They're like baby boomer age. And I think they're a little less familiar with the internet because they seem to be a little more uh, gullible, frankly. Uh, and so, but as far as other conspiracy theories on the right, I mean, QAnon has has embraced Pizzagate, uh, the idea that Seth Rich was murdered by Hillary Clinton. It's Seth Rich was this DNC staffer uh, who was murdered in D.C. What last year? It, yeah, uh, two years ago. And so, okay. so the the various people on the right, uh, including at one point Sean Hannity, were suggesting that he was the person who gave the Democratic emails to WikiLeaks, which of course would absolve Russia. Uh, and so QAnon has sort of absorbed all of these other conspiracy theories, including uh, anti-vaccination stuff, all these various things. And, and so it's really drawn from a, a broad array of people. I mean, it seems, though, that there are other factors at play in our current political cultural landscape that would allow conspiracy theories like QAnon 
to flourish. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, to the extent that, uh, you know, the, the, the fact of the internet, I mean, it, it, the internet makes it far easier for these ideas to spread and for people to create communities around, uh, around these pretty outlandish ideas. I mean, you know, if, if you were to talk to someone in person and you said, you know, I believe in this Q thing, I'm just going to start talking to people in my ordinary life and see who I can recruit, you know, you might not have much success. But if you're drawing from across the whole country or indeed uh, across the whole world, uh, you know, you're going to be able to find some people. Is there a QAnon of the left? I can't think of one. I mean, it seems as if, for whatever reason, either we're covering it less or it doesn't exist as much. But this level of conspiracy theory, is there a parallel on the far left? You know, I it, I really don't think at this level. I mean, it, it, you know, I, it, I'd be wrong to say that there aren't any conspiracy theories on the left. But I think, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, back when fake news was such a big thing during the 2016 election. I mean, it, just for whatever reason, at this point in time where we are, I think uh, the right has proven to be more susceptible to hoaxes and conspiracy theories. My biggest question, the further I dig into QAnon, is why haven't we just figured out who Q is? <laughs> Q posted online in, what, October of last year. Trace that IP address, figure out who Q is, get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I I would really like to know that as well. I mean, there really are, there's a lot of theories about who it is. None of them I find particularly convincing. I mean, I think in the end it's going to turn out to be some random troll uh, and then, uh, you know, who did something that got way out of hand. But it really could be anybody. Could it be a Russian? So, you know, I'm reluctant to speculate on that, but there are a lot of, you know, a lot of these conspiracies have turned out to be boosted by Russians. So, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out. All right. Last question. Should we have even had this conversation? Should we be covering this? Should the mainstream press give airtime and page time to crazy conspiracy theories? It's an interesting debate. And I think you kind of cross a threshold with it. Uh, you know, it, it's not like you're going out and finding five people who believe something. I mean, this seems to be it's hard to measure online things and conspiracy theories like this, but this seems to be a growing movement in the Trump grassroots. Uh, in April, months before this really started growing, I went to a QAnon rally. Something like 200 people showed up in D.C. Where was it? In it, D.C.? In D.C., yeah. And so they were watch, marching down Washington, D.C. in the middle of downtown, chanting QAnon uh, slogans and all this. And so, you know, I, I think you reach a point with this where I do think you risk, I guess, spreading it. But at the same time, you know, people are going to be seeing this and they're going to be Googling it. And I think if the, the mainstream media isn't talking about it, uh, you know, then people are going to be going on the words of some random guy on YouTube. Like I when I started looking at this, maybe back in February, I really did not think I thought it was some weird thing on a forum that would never get out of there. And now you see people, whole families at Trump rallies with QAnon shirts and QAnon gear. Uh, it's, it's very bizarre and, and it's hard to know where this all ends. Well, well. On that note, Will Summer, uh, he covers conspiracy theories for The Daily Beast. Thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Will Summer of The Daily Beast. Back here in studio with Karen and Eric. When did you guys hear about QAnon? Well, for one thing, it's on the front of the Nestle's Quick Bunnies T-shirt. <laughs> so this is a dent in their credibility right from the jump. That's an amazingly Karen specific pop, pop culture reference. Yes. There. Yes. <laughs> That's what I thought of the first time I saw the T-shirts. It's like, really? You didn't do your research? <laughs> That's spoken well, like a parent. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. I'm Ann Powers from NPR Music. Last summer, we launched Turning the Tables, a project that radically changed how we talk about the history of popular music with a list of the 150 greatest albums by women. This week, we're launching season two, looking at the 200 greatest songs by 21st century women. Check out who made the list and who didn't at n.pr slash turning the tables. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here in studio with two guests, Eric Deggins, TV critic for NPR. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And Karen Grigsby-Bates, correspondent for NPR's Code Switch team. And listeners, you can't see it, but whenever Karen's on the show, she wears my favorite scarf. It is a scarf with daggers all over it. This is my fourth time getting daggered up. <laughs> I love wow. it. I love it. You guys, it's time for my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, yes! <laughs> I love this game. It's a good game. I don't do well at it. I just love I'm this. I'm so frightened. Y'all I'm so be, frightened right now. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> yes. So the game is very simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story it's referring to or the keyword or whatever. This week with all the quotes, I'm more interested in who the quotes are about than who actually said them. But if you get either or, I'll give you the point. Okay? Mm. Okay. Let's do it. First quote. Blank. Got whatever he wanted, a $21,000 watch and a custom $15,000 jacket made from an ostrich. <laughs> Paul Manafort. Okay, yes. <laughs> I'll you have that to one say, too. that jacket was really ugly. That jacket looks like... It. It looks it up like, on your phone. It looks like a, um ostrich leather got into a Vitamix with an Archie <laughs> comic book and somebody hit spin so you get this incredibly ugly baseball jacket made of black dyed ostrich skin. What was he Karen, you thinking? Are killing me. You are what back to me. So all of this Robin Givon got on it. You got to look at the Washington, Washington Post. Post fashion critic oh Robin Givon. So to back up, this is this quote is about Paul Manafort, the former higher up in the Trump campaign who is now on trial. Uh, these words about Manafort were uttered this week by Assistant U.S. Attorney Uzo Asanye. Manafort's accused of failing to pay taxes on money he earned while working for a political candidate in the Ukraine. Uh, he used that money, apparently, to buy things like ostrich leather jackets. Who does? <laughs> I didn't even know until this week that ostrich leather is a thing that exists. Oh, yes. I, it's I one of the it. most expensive items at Hermes when you go and get your Birkin <laughs> bag. If you get an ostrich Birkin, oh can goodness. nobody touch you? That's right. Uh, next quote, tell me who said it or who they're talking about. The quote is... Blank is an incredibly talented and creative leader whose influence is beyond measure. She is integral to the future of our company's transformation and has agreed to work with me indefinitely. Oh, Anna Wintour. Yeah. Okay. This was the head of Condé Nast because there have been lots of rumors that Miss Anna is going out the door. And in fact, they thought that her... She would exit on a high note with the Beyonce cover, which I know is making you very happy, which is the <laughs> September issue September was issue. traditionally the big prestigious, you know, 900 pound issue. <laughs> but um, there have been there have been rumors that 
They're thinking new blood, but yeah. the uh, head of Condé Nast says no indeed. Now, now yeah. you understand why I'm about to be crushed in this competition. <laughs> so, no, 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 so, no. Yeah. If you read Vogue, you'd know this too. <laughs> <laughs> if you read Vogue. So, yeah. Men, for the most I don't, part, yeah, I don't, don't read Vogue. Yeah, yeah, she's right. So, so this quote is from Bob Salberg. He's the CEO of Condé Nast. He had to respond to these Anna Wintour rumors. Uh, the rumors that she might leave hit a fever pitch this week because of a Huffington Post report that Vogue would give Beyonce, quote, unprecedented control over the cover of the upcoming September issue. They did not give Miss Thing <laughs> control. She took it. She took it. <laughs> she said, if you want me on the cover, this I'm is I'm in charge. It. And oh, by the way, no follow-up Q&A after yeah. that. You get the picture only, and I'm choosing my own photographer. She's choosing the photographer, which will be the first black person mm-hmm. to shoot the photo for a Vogue cover ever. Mm-hmm. What if Beyonce is going to be the next editor-in-chief of Vogue? <laughs> I think she likes her life too much to Yeah, I think she's got that. more important things to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> you guys, it's tied up. One each. This one's for all the marbles. Uh, it's the hardest quote of the game. It's okay. the hardest quote. Uh, you can tell me who said it. You can tell me who it's about. Just get close. But this is for the win. Ready? Quote, she hasn't eaten today, but that's not out of the ordinary after she's been through such stressful events. Oh, it was about an animal. It is about an animal. What kind of animal, Karen? You're close. A orca. Close. Another Dolphin. animal that's in the water. Close. Sh- uh, killer whale. Uh, Clo- you almost had it. You almost killer, said it. Killer shark. Uh, killer shark. We'll give it to you. Uh, oh, this was the spotted shark that got stolen from <laughs> yes. the, uh, the aquarium. In San Antonio. From the aquarium. <laughs> this yeah. story is so crazy. It would have been so bad for a Floridian to miss that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> is the craziest story you've heard probably this year. Uh, this week. Shark in, my... in a stroller. That's yes. what it was. Yes. <laughs> this week in San Antonio, my home city. Some fools <laughs> stole a small shark from the San Antonio Aquarium Very by putting carefully. the shark in a stroller and walking out of the aquarium well, with it. Well, to be fair, minute, they put the shark in a bucket of water and then got in it a in the stroller. stroller. That should have happened in Florida. That should have been a Florida story. It should have happened in Florida. I'm, I'm, I'm calling for a ruling. Let me give you this <laughs> backstory because it's crazy. It should have happened. In, it sounds very Floridian, doesn't it? Oh so, for one, the small gray horn shark that was stolen is named Miss Helen, mm. which I love. But snap, the, snap. Right? But the story behind the theft is insane. The lead thief of the shark was Anton Shannon. He and two other individuals um, snatched Miss Helen out of her tank, wrapped her in a blanket, carried her out in a baby carriage, and officials first noticed that things weren't right because the baby carriage was dripping water. (laughs) (laughs) Who do better? But you know what? There were people who saw him reach in and take the shark, and they didn't say anything. If you see something, say something. So what's he going to do? Hit me with a shark? I mean, come on. If he's crazy enough to reach in and grab a shark, who knows what he's capable of? He wanted wanted the shark for his personal collection. He had one years ago, was very fond of it. It died. And he wanted to replicate the experience. So instead of asking a shark wrangler to go find him one, he stole it. From the aquarium. That, First that they came for Miss Helen, and I said him. nothing. That's right. Is, 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 the guy from, is the guy from Florida? 
Is he, is he, he at might least, as well be. Is he, was he at least a Florida native? Yeah, Florida but you can see they have the uh, they have the the closed circuit tape. Yeah, uh, it's on, crazy. And he he literally reaches in there and does <laughs> oh, this and walks wow. out. Okay. Miss Helen, we should say that that quote comes from Jenny Spellman. She is a, a general manager of the San Antonio Aquarium. They got this shark back. Uh, put a lock on them tanks, y'all. Yeah. Or make the. Um, Make, make the, the, make the it walls high. higher. Something. Uh, did Eric get that one? I did. Just Eric, by you default, won. I just guessed congratulations, Eric. But thank more you. congratulations to Karen for just being Karen. You're always a real winner, Karen. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Everybody that, gets a prize. That's right. <laughs> that concludes Who Said That. Uh, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. Every week I ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. This is Ben in St. Paul. And the best thing that happened to me this week was getting to spend the last two days before I go back to teaching with my eight-month-old son playing around, including three hours where my dad took him so that I could take my 68-year-old mother out to a big, silly action movie, just like when I was a kid. Hey, Sam. This is Brandon from Cary, North Carolina. And the best thing to happen to me this week is that this morning I'm waking up after finishing my second semester of nursing school and successfully passing my class. The best thing that happened to me this week was finishing my 100-mile mountain bike race. The best thing that happened to me this week was spotting a black bear on my last morning of vacation in the mountains. The best thing that happened this week is that after months of secrecy, I was able to surprise my best friend Claudia on her 60th birthday. We've been friends for almost 40 years. I will never forget the look on her face. Hi Sam, it's Stefan from London and 35 years after my dad arrived here as an illegal immigrant, the best thing that happened to me this week was that I got my first job working in politics here and I wanted to thank you because you were one of the people that got me interested in politics on the NPR Politics Podcast. Hey Sam, it's Joanna. The best part of my week has happened every single night this week as my oldest daughter, who turned six at the end of August, has asked to defy bedtime so that we can read just one more chapter of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Watching her get excited about reading and loving a book that I loved as a kid has just been one of the best parts of parenting thus far. Oh, hey, Sam. This is Danya. First, I love the show. Second, the best things that happened to me this week were closing on my very first apartment in New York and getting a promotion. Now, these would be milestones for anyone, but as a Black woman and a native New Yorker in these trying times, feels like an even bigger achievement. Thank you and have a great weekend. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. I'm here for all of that. Aww. Oh, yeah. I love the idea of, of the first guy taking his mom to the movies oh, yeah. the way his mom took him. That's oh, really yeah. sweet. And the mm. reading got me. That was really good stuff. Best part of my week, I forget what night it was this week, but I was binging on some TV show and I fell asleep on the couch, which I usually hate doing, but it was the best night of sleep I've had in months. <laughs> <laughs> and I woke up and didn't know what time it was in the morning. The TV was still on. <laughs> But I had slept like a baby. You can oh, do that every now and then. Right, right. Many thanks to all the voices you heard there. Ben, Brandon, Andrew, Emma, Monica, Stefan, Joanna, and Danya. Uh, we get these every week, and we love them. We listen to all of them. Keep sending them in to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. I have to say goodbye to you all, unfortunately. But we're going to go out on a high note. Miss Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Mm. 100 days, 100 Many thanks to my two guests here in studio, 
Karen Grace Bates of NPR's Code Switch team, Eric Deggins, NPR TV critic, and thanks again to Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings for this lovely song, 100 Days, 100 Nights. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with help from Kumari Devarajan. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. And my big boss, NPR's VP of programming, is Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for my chat with Aisha D. and Amanda Lasher from Freeform's The Bold Type. Aisha is one of the stars of the show, and Amanda is a showrunner. And I'm being real here. The Bold Type is one of my favorite shows out right now. Um, I binged it recently. It is a show all about three young working women who try to make it in New York. And I know you, I th- you probably think you've already seen that show before, but you've never seen it like this. So look for that episode on Tuesday. All right. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Talk soon.